Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Casey Mahoney, jazz guitarist. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very good. Glad to have you here. I'm going to give a bit of our background for listeners who don't know you and then describe why I have you here because you're doing something that most other people think about or think maybe they should do and you're doing it. And and it came from my perspective, partly out of the blue. So let me get some background. So I, I'm a leadership coach. We've coached together in the past. You've tutored me, I guess, or mentored me at times. Sure, yeah. I think of you as having a social work background, but also as an educator. And I've come to you for advice. In fact, this year, like I came to you for coaching. And you have insight into people's emotional, like what it takes to transform themselves and to... If I were talking professionally with the leadership people I work with, it's like how to get promoted, how to get uh, more responsibilities at work and and things like that, how to change your identity. But you also, I know once you were in town back in your heavy metal rock star days where you just played some club and you were in the uh, the band's bus, RV, whatever. And that was really cool to see post-rock performance hang out with the band. But- the stuff about sustainability, which I, is what I want to talk about, is how I stayed with you when I was out in California in 2018. Now I have to mention, I took the train out and train and bus back. So that was a 72-hour ride. And I was there for some conference. I stayed longer and stayed with you for a bit. And we did something that for you was, all right, I said, part of my staying with you, I'm going to have, I'm going to buy you a pressure cooker and I'm going to make you one of my famous no packaging vegan stews. And nearby you, I found a farmer. No, no, no. You told me that there was a farmer's market near you, but you had never been to it. And it was December and December farmer's market in Manhattan means beets, maybe a few cabbages, but otherwise no greens. It's root vegetables. And there, oh my God, Southern California farmer's markets are just unbelievable. I'd never, it was like heaven for me. And- you and your partner were like, oh, this is cool. But then I made you the stew. And then next thing I know, before I'm even home, I guess on the on the train slash bus ride back, you were texting me that you had started, you'd made, what was it? Sunday stew day? Yeah, yeah. I was having stew. We were making one, you know, almost every week, at least twice a month. It began a a tradition for you. And I didn't really... I mean, of course, I talked to you about sustainability and sustainability leadership because that's what I talked to everyone about. But also, you've taken things upon yourself. And why I'm bringing you here now is that earlier this year, you started talking about having getting an electric bike and going to gigs with it, with your equipment in a trailer behind you. And I'm thinking, when I think jazz musician, I think of like Miles Davis or I think of really cool and when I think of people on, all right, I think if someone on an e-bike, a bike with a trailer, my first thought is maybe parents with kids. That's kind of cool. Or maybe even a pet. But other than that, I think it, to me, it has an association with nerdiness. I don't think of like to have. You know, I, th- I think that's changing. Yeah. That's what, so you might be on the forefront of something that I think a lot of people want, because I think a lot of people want to pollute less, but I think my experience is that living sustainably isn't hard. Living sustainably in a culture that's unsustainable and doesn't get it 
that's hard, but that's social, not technical or technological. And that can change quickly because especially if leaders, if people that others look up to or look to for cultural leadership, that can change really quick. So then you said that you had, you'd come up with a goal of, a goal of getting your carbon or carbon or total footprint down below three tons per year, which is, you'll tell me where you come up with that number. And so I'm really curious, how much of, my, of your background did I get right there? And how much should we add? And what was your motivation? I thought, yeah, perfect. Background was perfect. Let's see. Motivation. I mean, I think the evidence on climate change is pretty compelling and I think it's motivating. I don't think it's that hard to do to change your carbon footprint or cause less pollution. It takes some time and it takes some adjustment. But uh, I don't know. I kind of like the challenge, I guess. I mean, you mentioned the social friction. You know, I like to navigate that stuff and try to get through it and figure it out. It's it's an interesting challenge, you know, keeps you from getting bored and something good to do in general. Well, the climate stuff was there a long time ago. I mean, you can go back to the 80s. It was front page news in the New York Times. So what changed to act now? Well, I suppose you're right. I think that I think the focus on it is growing, though, you know. While it was a thing in the 80s, that I would think there was less proof. People took it a little less seriously. It was still like a kind of thing that's easy to say, oh, I wonder what that's about, or oh, that's, maybe that's not true. But I think to be skeptical of it now is, is uh, you know, it's kind of hard to write it off now. I mean, the evidence is kind of irrefutable at this point. It wasn't really on my radar before, you know. But as I as I look more into it, because it's becoming more, it's becoming easier to look into. That's another thing. In the eighties, you couldn't go on the internet and bring up some international report about climate change and see how it all works and what's the evidence and where did the evidence come from and who says this is real and who says this is not real. I think the internet and YouTube has allowed people to actually do their own research a lot more. If you had just some article on the cover of Newsweek, I don't know how actionable that is. But if you can learn all about it and the different ways that you can change it and get really nuanced in your learning, then it's easier to take action. I think there's another element to it of when, if you don't think you can make a difference, you don't see stuff. And if, if you start having role models or I mean, do, to what extent did my did knowing me have an effect? Well, you have, a, I think, a lot of information that is uh, not so easy to find. You know, I remember you said, if you take a round trip flight from L.A. to New York, that's the same as driving a car for a year in terms of how much pollution it causes. And uh, at that time, I actually didn't know that taking airplanes even even caused much pollution. Like, I didn't know that it was significantly more than a regular, you know, drive, maybe driving from, driving to Vegas, you know? I didn't really... So you have some factoids that are a, a little more salient, I would say, than what you get in maybe more of the mainstream press. I mean, I don't want to say the mainstream press because I don't read the news anyway. 
but I just hadn't heard this stuff before. So I was like, oh, well, that's that's more interesting. And, you know, plastic bottles and plastic pollution, I had never really heard of that either. Like plastic in the ocean, that's something I had not heard of. So I guess you were just bringing me up to speed on some of the stuff that, you know, is, rel- is fairly obvious. I just hadn't really encountered the information before. So once I had heard a few things from you, I said, all right, let's look into this more. Let's look into this plastic thing. Oh, is it really in the ocean? Yep. Yeah, there it is. It's in the ocean, just like Josh said. All right, what's up with this carbon pollution and fossil fuels? Oh, yeah, everything looks just like Josh said it was going to look. And here's the numbers. And, and now let's see what we can do about it. So that's the information on the problem side. How about my actions on solutions or doing acting on it? Did that affect you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the stew is a good idea. I was already vegan at the time. So to have a vegan stew was like kind of right up my alley. The farmer's market and having the non-packaged food wasn't something I would have thought of, but the food's really good. It tastes it tastes a little better than supermarket food as well. So yeah, that, that stuff was like, it wasn't some huge adjustment to me to change from regular vegan food to non-packaged, you know, vegetable stew, but I found it for pretty beneficial and enjoyable, you know? And I think that's a core part of your message is that you're going to end up doing a lot of things that are enjoyable. So you don't have to look at this as a negative experience. You're going to try some stuff that you're going to have to open your mind to new experiences, but a lot of it will be pleasant. Yeah, I think most people don't get that. They think it's got it, it can only be deprivation and sacrifice. If we're not moving forward, it can only mean that we're going to lose these medical advances and a bunch of people are going to die. That's what the message that I hear. Yeah, you know, this is a very unique topic in that the way people react to it tends to be negative. And I've heard a lot of this since I started riding an e-bike and I also bought something called a low-speed vehicle, which is like a tiny little car that has almost no pollution. And I've I've gotten, you know... It's just interesting, the instantaneous negative reactions that you get, you know, it's unlike any other topic. I would say this is the most unpopular, popular topic. <laughs> yeah. Can we, let's go back a step because can you walk me through the decision to get an e-bike, why you did it, it was easy or hard, and then how that graduated to the the Wink? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, oh, and then how did it go? Like, what was it like going to across town and showing up at gigs and going home from gigs and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. So once I wanted to actually get into lowering my carbon footprint significantly, first I had to figure out what is the goal and what I want to, where I'm currently at. So for the goal, I just looked up some of the international reports and they're basically saying that if everybody in the world lowered their carbon footprint to three metric tons or less per year, then global warming would be no longer a danger to humanity. So three tons, that sounds good to me. And then I had to evaluate where I'm at now. And this was a little more difficult because I used a bunch of online calculators that calculate your carbon footprint. And I got such 
different numbers from it that, and I still haven't figured this out. One thing said I had a 14 carbon footprint. Another thing said I had like a 26 carbon footprint. So that's a pretty big swing. So all this is a work in progress. I don't have a finished project yet or result yet, but that's another thing that I think is important for if you want to cause less pollution or adopt some of these things, it's good to just start the process. You don't have to be perfect and you don't have to finish right now. And you don't have to be Josh Spodek living in a apartment with no electricity, you know, and instantaneously. People got to remember that it took you like 10 years to get where you're at. Yeah. And it was all just starting the process. And most people might never get to where Josh Spodek is at, but that's okay too. You you got to do your best and you got to start somewhere. So I got to interject. Some people may pass me by like I'm standing still and like, yeah, and that's great. I'm sure some will be like, wow, Josh has, he's off to a good start, but he hasn't really tapped his potential there. Yeah. And my, my view of this climate change pursuit or, or lowering one's pollution is, it's a very individual thing and it shouldn't be a competitive thing. It doesn't need to be some dick measuring contest where like, oh, I got a lower carbon footprint than you. You know, I mean, I could see it going that way, but for me, that's not what it's about. You know, maybe in the future, the ultimate flex will be how low your carbon footprint is, you know, but we're certainly not there yet. But for me, I think it's an individual thing. You don't need to measure yourself against the most legendary small carbon footprints ever, because that's going to be discouraging for you. And we're trying to have fun with this, right? We're trying to have a positive experience. We're not trying to get all freaked out and be like, oh, well, I can never do it as well as Josh does it, so I'm not going to do anything. So anyway, so I don't know what my actual carbon footprint is. So I guess somewhere in the range of 18 to 26 or 16 to 28. So I'm not sure yet. We'll see. I do hope to get a more precise idea of that in the future, but I'm not going to let it start stop me from starting the process. So I identified a few areas where I could lower it. The first was transportation. The second was electricity usage. And for electricity usage, you know, I made some changes to my house and I was able to lower my electric bill by about 40%. And then I kind of hit like a, a wall where it wasn't getting any lower. And I think I know why. But to save you a long story, I decided to get solar panels and I'm still trying to get solar panels. And, you know, the solar financing thing has been you know, an unbeatable <laughs> uh, process for me. But I I hope by the end of the year, I will have solar panels and then I'll have zero electricity usage in my house. So that'll take care of electricity. You'll have electricity I'll... use. You, you won't be pulling from the grid. Right. I won't be pulling from the grid at all. Yeah. Can I ask about the 40% drop? Was that easy? Like I looked at my first drop was low hanging fruit and it actually improved my life. Yeah. Low hanging fruit. That's what it is. That first drop. Easy stuff. Like what? If you don't mind sharing. Oh, not at all. I took out all my light bulbs that were like old style light bulbs and I put in LED bulbs. Yeah. I just tried, I learned what the peak time is for electricity usage in my area. In my area, it's 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. And my electricity usage is very low during that time. Just, you know, changing little things like, you know, don't run the air conditioner between those hours, stuff like that. Okay. Just opening more windows so I need like less cooling, less heating, you know, like I'll have a lot of windows open from like 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. And then the house generally stays very cool 
in the daytime hours. You know, where I live, it's it's not that hard to do. And I live with, th- there's three people that live in my house. So that does get some friction. It's not like I live alone and I can just call every shot. So I, you know, if maybe if I was living alone, I could be like, you know what? Unplug the air conditioner. Never again. But the people I live with will never agree to that. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate. When you're trying to do something with your house, the people you live with might not agree to it. And you kind of have to compromise and live and let live a little bit. But yeah, mo- like I said, mostly just opening some windows, changing some light bulbs, changing the times that I use electricity. And that's about it. And would you describe the effect on your life of that as positive, negative, neutral, other? Neutral. Neutral. Okay. So quick and easy, no big deal. It took about, I don't know, it took about three weeks, you know, for like a total of two hours, like two, three hours over a couple of weeks. Like me and my mom went around and looked at all these light bulbs and, you know, we went to Home Depot and got different light bulbs. Like it's very simple stuff. Okay. All right. So thanks for taking me back about there. So now we're um, the e-bike. Oh, yeah. So I said, okay, well. I can't get this solar panel thing worked out, but it's in it's in the process. There's nothing I can do today about that. So let's I'm happy with the forty percent lower electric bill. So let's move on to transportation now. You know, I I've researched this a bit and it looks like your house and your transportation are kind of the main two things you're gonna be changing to to simplify this. If for vegan already. I think if you're a heavy meat eater, that might be a big piece of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was already vegan. I'd been vegan long before we talked about any of this. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like transportation and housing. Those were the two big things to look at changing. So now we're on to transportation. Now, I used to not drive very much because I was either working from home or sometimes I was on tour. So I was driving like twice a week when I was home. But then I noticed my driving had been creeping up over, over the last few years. And now I'm at the point where I'm driving like, you know, four or five days a week, especially since I switched to playing jazz. When you play jazz, you're going to all these gigs and jam sessions and they're kind of in your local area, but they could be like 10 miles from your house, 20 miles from your house. You're not going to be on tour and you're not going to be working from home really. So you're you're kind of in more of a a commuter type of situation, which I hadn't done that in a long time. So I was like, all right, my driving's getting way higher than it used to be. So I have to eliminate this pollution. So I just started looking at the options. And and actually there's some cool options out there. And if you get on YouTube, you can check it out. There's like scooters and electric skateboards and there's e-bikes and People are riding tricycles and all kinds of stuff. And there's electric cars. And so I started to kind of just try to sort this stuff out. And, you know. And you're in Orange County, right? I don't think we established it. It's Southern California. Yeah, Orange County. So this is suburbs. Yeah, this is suburbs. And like the outer suburbs. So pretty stuff's pretty far apart. Now, like I said, this is kind of an individual thing. So you may have a different opinion than me. But I don't think an electric car like a Tesla really is going to move the needle much. Not in my case anyway, because it's still pulling power from the grid in most cases. And that power is coming a lot from fossil fuels. In my area, about 50% of our grid is run by fossil fuels. We do have a lot of solar here, 
because it's Southern California. But you know, if I'm charging a Tesla and half of it is fossil fuels, I mean, that doesn't, I mean, it does move the needle a bit, I guess, but it's not enough for me. Like it's not enough for me to, to actually be motivated enough to buy one of these cars and get rid of my other car. If I'm going to go through the trouble of doing it, I want a way, way more of a reduction in pollution than from, than just changing to a Tesla. So the other thing about electric cars is they're very heavy and you know, they're 4,000, 5,000 pounds. So I kind of looked at this thing and I was like, well, where do I need to go that I need to haul around 5,000 pounds with me? Let's just go real light. So the first thing I tried was an e-bike. So I got the e-bike and you know, it's pretty fun to ride an e-bike around. You just get a little more, you just see parts of the neighborhood you wouldn't have noticed before. You see people riding around on bikes that you hadn't noticed before and out in the fresh air and there's like bike trails in my area that are really nice. And so I was enjoying the e-bike um, and I got a trailer for it and I would put a guitar and an amp and like a bag full of cables in this trailer and I'd go to my gigs in that. And I will say like, there are some gigs that it it works just fine. And I was doing it, I think I was doing about two or three months where I was mostly, I mean, I was driving my car a bit, but I think I'd, I'd reduce my driving probably by about like 75% maybe. So I was like, all right, this is going good. Let's keep going. Let's do more. So the e-bike started to, to be a little difficult for me for the far away gigs, like the stuff that's like 30 miles away from my house. I mean, I'd be on that e-bike for like an hour and a half each way and you know I, my battery died a few times which is fine it's not like the end of the world but but i would be like exhausted <laughs> i was so exhausted from even though you're not pedaling on an e-bike all the time it is a workout you know like i wear this fitness tracker and it's telling me your heart rate is up you're working out oh wow uh, yeah and i think it's because you kind of have to balance yourself on the e-bike. So you are utilizing a lot of your muscle power and your awareness. You have to watch traffic. You have to be careful on an e-bike. You get run over and killed, you know? So you you got to really pay attention and watch traffic. So you're in a heightened state of awareness and you're working your body a bit as well. So so an hour, so an hour and a half to the gig, then I play the gig, which is like two hours of heightened mental activity also. Like playing jazz is like, you know, it's a marathon for the brain. And then another hour and a half coming home and it was it was super exhausting. But it was a good piece of the puzzle. And I still have my e-bike and I, I do still ride my e-bike a fair amount. But I'm not probably going to go 30 miles away from my house with a trailer and to a gig and be extremely exhausted and then like have my battery die halfway up the hill on the way home. Um, so I was like, all right. This is a good piece of the puzzle. Let's see what's next. And so I looked at the electric cars again and I, and again I was like, all right, everybody says it's a Tesla. What else is out there? You know, and and turns out Tesla's the most efficient electric car. You can't really get an electric car that uses less energy than a Tesla. Tesla 3 is the one that it gets, let me see. It goes 100 miles on 25 kilowatts of electricity. So that's four miles per kilowatt. And I started to do with math and start to learn these numbers. So 
again, I don't find it motivating. I don't think that's, I'm not too impressed with that. Mm -hmm. Some other people may be like, great, that's a big step for me. So by all means, if that, you think that's the way to go, by all means, go for it. So what I started looking at is like, maybe something smaller. So there's a new classification of vehicles. It's called a low speed vehicle. And it is halfway between like a golf cart and a car. Have you seen these, Josh? Well, just because you told me about it. So I started looking it up and watching the videos of, the, of someone driving around in New York in them. Yeah. But I didn't... Oh, oh no. I have done some articles because there are sub $1,000 cars in China, which I'm afraid are going to become disposable. And everyone's going to think, oh, this is great. And then... Like they're plastic and so a little fender bender and people are probably going to say, well, I'll just get a new one. That So I've done a couple of articles on that. Oh, okay. I haven't seen But in the US, I haven't. Your finding about it from you was my first looking looking up like a wink. Okay. So a low speed vehicle is, is definitely not disposable. You know, I, I think they're the kind of thing you could definitely have for 10, 20 years. You might have to replace a battery at some point, but it's a small amount of battery it's not like an electric car that has like 600 pounds of battery in it. You know, low-speed low vehicles are lighter than cars. So I end up buying one called a Wink, and the Wink is about 1,200 pounds. That's how much it weighs. So that's a lot lighter than a 4,000-pound car. And the energy consumption to me has to do with how light or heavy is the object that you're trying to move. And I'm sure you have some listeners that are real physicists and better at math than me, but this is just my very amateur take on things. Uh -huh. So anyway, so I got this 1,200 pound vehicle. And if you're interested in low speed vehicles, I researched it a lot so I can save you the trouble. There's really only three of them in America that are being produced. The Wink, which is the one I bought. Then there's one called the Moak. The Moak looks like a little Jeep and they got like crazy neon colors. And then there's one called a Gem. GEM is G-E-M, and they are a golf cart company, and they'll kind of like just pimp out your golf cart into a, <laughs> like a car, you know, and they'll put doors on it, and they'll put, you know, they'll get it faster for you, and so those are like, the GEMs are the really fancy ones, and they're expensive, like I think they could be like $30,000 once you put doors on them and everything, so I bought a Wink, and it was, it's pretty cheap, and uh you know, I called up Wink to ask about it, and the guy that answered the phone was the owner of the company. Small company. It's called Wink Motors. So small company, new, young, small company? Uh, yeah, small company, right. But the I started talking to this guy, and he's kind of like, he's very passionate about reducing pollution as well, and that's why he's doing this. And he's making these cars, and you know, I can tell, like, speaking of friction, this guy's running into some friction. You know, he's trying to do something that's going to reduce pollution, and he's running into a lot of bureaucratic nonsense, and he's running into, like, problems with factories and productions. And so the so I don't think he's made a lot of these cars, but he has made, you know, at least a few thousand, and they, they work, which is more than you can say for a lot of these kinds of efforts. You know, I... From my research, the a lot of the problem with these vehicles, like the solar-powered vehicles and stuff, three-wheeled vehicles, uh, they just don't, they never get to production. Somebody's making some project and then they love run out of funding. 
they start taking deposits. Oh, reserve yours now for two hundred dollars, and your two hundred dollars is gone. They never, they never get the paperwork done. You know, it's hard to get a project finished for an efficient vehicle. That it's not something the government's familiar with. It's not something the public is familiar with. So what I liked about Wink is this uh, person who owns the company. His name is Mark. Mark got through all the paperwork and jumped through every hoop and dealt with the federal government. And these things are legal and you can register them and you can put a license plate on the back and you can have car insurance. So that's kind of why they're the leader of the pack, in my opinion. So I, they were out of the one I wanted to buy. They had sold out. And Mark said, uh, we're sold out. You know, uh, the last one I have is somebody returned it. It was damaged. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And I said, all right, Mark. I'll take that one because I've got the impression that this guy was going to send the thing to the junkyard or make it into a parts car. So I, I said, I'll take the damaged one. Maybe I'll probably, I'll figure it out. I'm like, you know, somewhat handy or I can figure out how to get it fixed and running. So saved one car from the junkyard and made it usable. So like factory reconditioned. But did, he, did he fix it for you or did you get to fix it? No, he did not fix it. He gave it to me as is. He said, are you sure? Because you're not going to like this thing. I said, I'll figure it out. You know, I'm not going to be defeated by whatever's wrong with it. And so the person who was returning it, they just shipped it straight to me. It never went back to the factory. So this thing shows up and it's got some damage, but I was able to drive it and I started driving it to my gigs. And, uh, you know, now keep in mind, by this point, I've told a few people I'm buying this thing, and I'm starting to get the negative comments from friends and family. Now, did you expect negative comments? Did you expect support? <laughs> I don't really care enough to even set expectations. Huh? I just figure people are going to say whatever they're going to say, and I'm not really going to take it into consideration. I've decided to drive this thing to my gigs and around town, and there's nothing anybody can say to me that's going to change my mind. Okay. So whatever they say, they say, I don't care. So, but I'm trying to get, I'm starting to get negative comments from, from my friends and family. You know, my, my girlfriend is like, oh, you're going to look like an idiot in that thing. It's going to look like a clown car. You're six foot five. This thing's so small, blah, blah, blah. And my mom is so funny. So my mom knows that I, I'm trying to reduce my pollution and she's been in on some of these projects. She was helping me with the light bulbs and she goes, you know, um, I can give you a ride somewhere if you want. <laughs> It's almost like she feels like uh, it's embarrassing or like not the right legacy that she wants to, her family to leave. No, I, I think people just don't understand, but they want to help. Okay. Like in my mom's case, I don't know if people think I'm just out of money or the price of gas has gotten too high. You know what I mean? Like people don't, people are like, oh, this poor guy's going to buy, buy this crummy little car. Oh, I feel so bad for him. You know, <laughs> I think maybe people, maybe not. This might not be the case with you and your family and your friends, but I think a lot of people, they want to do it. And if someone else does it and they haven't done it and they're not, they don't have it in it, then they, you know, the crabs in a bucket phrase of when like- No, what's that? Apparently, if you put crabs in a bucket and some crawl out, then the ones inside will pull the ones crawling out back in again. And it's oh. usually described <laughs> for people like with addiction or like people who smoke a lot or drink a lot or overeat a lot. When someone says, all right, you know what? I'm going to stop this. The others are like, oh, come on. Because <laughs> I think they feel like if 
like say it's a drinking group and let's not talk about like full on addiction, just people go out drinking together and maybe they realize they're, they've been doing it a little bit too long or maybe, you know, it's not really helping their life anymore. And someone's like, you know what, I'm going to move on from this and I'm going to start doing that big project I always wanted to do and stop just partying. And the others will pull them back in again, partly because someone's making a decision that they feel they should, but it's, it's a bit beyond them at this stage. And so they don't want to feel bad yet. Yeah, I think I think my my girlfriend and my mom were like, "Oh no, is he going to drive around in this thing?" And then I have to be in the passenger seat. Like, I don't want to be in the passenger seat of this thing. I don't, for whatever reason, it's some of it is just being unfamiliar with a low speed vehicle. They're definitely not as safe. There's no airbags. Mine doesn't even have seat belts, although they do, they do generally come with seat belts. You know, they're not as safe. I don't know. People are not enthused about riding in this thing with me. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I would be, I would enjoy it. Well, yeah, you're, you're a weirdo like me, Josh, with these climate change nut jobs. So, of course. Do you know about Ed Begley Jr. and his daughter taking public transportation to the Oscars? No, I didn't know about that. Yeah, they take the bus. I mean, he's he's <laughs> one of the few that I, would, I see as genuinely like doing environmental stuff. For you know, doing things for sustainability, and one of them is he took the bus with his daughter to the Oscars. Like the bus, you know, he got yeah. on paid his fare, then walked the red carpet. But does he take the bus to, uh, like, uh, just go have lunch with a friend? My understanding is he died. he got an electric vehicle long before Tesla. Oh, good. And okay. I think he may have made decisions about acting opportunities based on flying. I'm not sure if he curbed his flying. Ah, I see. But I think he's set some trends. There were TV shows that I know, I've never seen I don't have cable, but um, that he there's something about like he's trying to share it. He's not hiding it. And I think partly right. okay. he's got the social status where yeah. if he does he stuff- He can influence a little bit. Yeah. And he's using that. Yeah. So, So for me, it's more like I'm not trying to set any trends, but I am one person that's going to reduce my carbon footprint. That's it. There's really nothing more to this project. It's just something I want to do, and I don't have to explain it to anybody if I don't want to. So anyway, I drove around the block. I drove it down to the grocery store and stuff, and it's fine. It's great. So l let me tell you what the limitations are with this low-speed vehicle situation. Uh -huh. And what I expected and, and how it turned out. So a low-speed vehicle is a vehicle that goes 25 miles an hour max. They do not go over 25 miles an hour. You cannot drive them on the freeway, and you're supposed to be driving them on roads that are have a speed limit of 35 or less. Full LA is full of that. Well, yeah, everybody's driving real slow around here, yeah. you know, whether they want to or not. So- and mine is a, it's a tiny little car and it does have four seats and you can fold the back seats down for cargo. And that was why I wanted, it's called the Mark II Solar. So I wanted the Mark II. They have a two-seater one as well, but I can't fit all my guitars and my amps in the two-seater one. So I bought the four-seater one and I started driving to my gigs. And some of my gigs, I have a lot of stuff. You know, if I'm bringing equipment for a vocalist also, I might have two or three amps with me. I might have two guitars in some gigs. So I was able to fit everything into the wings. So cargo is no problem. The charging is super easy. 
It has a small battery. It only holds 9.6. No, it holds 4.8. It holds 4.8 kilowatts of electricity. And on that, you can go 60 miles. Mm-hmm. So this is about four times the mileage you would get on a Tesla with the same amount of you know battery power. So just a, but a much smaller battery. It's a smaller battery. It's less electricity. You're moving less weight. You're instead of moving five thousand pounds, you're moving twelve hundred pounds mm-hmm. plus your yourself. You know. So yeah, the charging's no problem. You just plug it into any outlet in your house. It's fine. I got a little extension cord in my garage. I did have some damage, but it wasn't anything where it couldn't be driven. I, I figure I'll just kind of fix it up later. You know, it's not an uncomfortable car. It, I find it plenty comfortable enough. You know. The 25 mile per hour thing, I was like, all right, that's going to be different. Let's see how that goes. And I figured, you know, I get out there, people are going to be honking at me and stuff or yelling at me, be ready for that, you know, or maybe I'll be like on roads that are 50 and I didn't even know it. And by accident, I'm on the wrong road. But, you know, none of that happened. Like nothing really has gone wrong. I drive it around my neighborhood in the back roads. That has been fine. And I've actually started taking it to some of the gigs. I drove it from Santa Ana to Anaheim, which is about it's about like 18 miles mm-hmm. um, for, for a gig recently. And it did fine. I was on 35-mile-an-hour roads for the most part. I thought people were going to honk at me and stuff. Nobody honked at me, not one person. And it just goes to show you that like... You know, you may be self-conscious and and feel like you're the center of the universe, but you're not because nobody even noticed me or looked <laughs> wow. at me. And the wink is less of an attention getter and more of a invisibility cloak. Nobody <laughs> notices you or sees you when you're in the wing. So that was not what I expected, you know. So I was unloading for the gig in Anaheim and it was, there were a few people who came up to me. And ask me about it. So some people come up and they're like, oh, what's that? Is that some like new car? Like they've never seen one before. I have the first one in the state of California. So according to the DMV anyway. So people want to know what it is, you know, and they're curious about it. Some people are like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, like it's not, it's not as embarrassing or low status as my mom and my girlfriend seem to think it would be. Uh-huh. Did people come up to you about the e-bike when you showed up with that? People's reaction to the e-bike isn't... They're not curious about the e-bike itself. Everybody's seen an e-bike. They're really common at this point. I mean, they look just like a regular bike. But the one thing people are like, oh, geez, you came up... Where did, how far did you come from? Like, where do you live that you rode a bike? I'm like, you know, it was like a an hour long ride. Cause I see the trailer and all that. And I'm like, damn, what are you doing that for? You know, I'm like, oh, well, I'm trying to lower my carbon footprint. And that's where most people check out and run the other way. <laughs> all right. So back to you, you show up in this wink in Anaheim, if I remember right. In Anaheim. Right. And people are kind of curious. They're asking me about it. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's a low speed vehicle. And, uh, I just got it and it, you don't need to put any gas in it. I, I tried to figure out the math on it. So like in case people ask me, I can actually know what what the efficiency is because I know they're gonna. I know people are gonna be like quizzing me on this. So I, man, I'm not good at this math, but I I think 
it's the equivalent of 350 miles per gallon. Uh-huh. I did some other computations that came out around 250, but it's somewhere in that range. So at least I could tell people, you know, it's this, it's this new thing. It's supposed to reduce pollution and global warming. And it's like roughly 300 miles to the gallon. And that's something that I think people can understand and, and they like it. But once you start saying it's going to be great, people will drive these, it'll be, it'll really reduce greenhouse gases and global warming. Now, nobody wants to really talk to you anymore. You know, that's been my experience. At least nobody wants to talk about the climate part of it. But there was, uh, there was one person I was talking to in a parking lot who was like, kind of like lukewarm to that. And, and he, we were talking about it a little bit. And then I said, yeah, and I just bought it. It cost 10,000 brand new. And he was like, what? So now people are interested because to be able to buy a brand new, well, it's not really a car, a, a new low speed vehicle for $10,000 is like a way better deal for people <laughs> than having to spend twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 on a car. So people are interested from an economical standpoint, and there there's always going to be this intersection of, you know, living cheap and living environmentally friendly. You know, they kind of go together whether you need them to or not, right? Yeah, I finally realized something with my mom, how I, I did an episode with her recently, and it was about how she formed, she and my dad and then stepfather were early on this co-op in Philadelphia, and it took me a long time to realize so many people around me are like, co-ops, since there's this Brooklyn co-op, I think people see this elite and snooty and expensive. But the reason my mom did it was because she didn't have time and didn't have money and had three kids. So to combine with other families and work together, they did it because it saved time and money, and they did, which they didn't have. So it never connected with me that people see it differently. So one, people see co-ops differently than I do. And I didn't realize that disconnect. So I talk about, hey, I belong to co-op. And people are like, oh, well, look at you. And I'm like, <laughs> right, right. But I didn't notice that that was happening because it just was far from me because the co-op that we grew up with was like, they, all the stuff that came in in boxes, those boxes would be put for customers to use to take the stuff home in. Like it was, everything was reused. And back when most places didn't care about those things. But then it, it so it turns out that, and my parents aren't, remotely sustainable. They talk about it, but they don't live it. So the reason that I learned all these things that are sustainable was I was learning things that were cheap and you know that, that save time and money. It turns out that there's a big overlap between saving time and money and living sustainably. Yeah, yeah. So I'd learned these things, but not for the reasons it was a crossover and I didn't realize it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My... My car insurance bill for the year on the Wink is about five hundred dollars, and my my previous car it was like almost four thousand. So I was like, wow. When I was there, you gave me a ride in. You had two different vehicles, and I'd ride in both of them. Can we share what those vehicles were? <laughs> okay, Josh. Well, one of them was like a pretty nice. Was it Range Rover? Yeah, I, I have a Range Rover. Yeah. Okay, so that was like your go-to vehicle. And then you took me ride in a 18, a 1984, 88 Lamborghini Countach. That's right. <laughs> and oh my God, I was like 
I don't know if I told you, I was like, I'm not sure if I want to get in this thing because it's not going to be very fuel efficient. And <laughs> we're just going for a ride for the fun of it because it's like everyone looks at this thing. I mean, it's not, yeah, yeah. it's better than the newer ones. I don't know about the performance or quality or anything, but the styling of that, that was like the pinnacle, right? The Like the peak year. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're super cool looking. Yeah. I mean, all of them are every year. Yeah. Although now they don't have that style. It's not as, I mean, the angular probably isn't as, um, well, the Countach is no longer manufactured like since 1990, but new Lamborghinis don't look like the old ones, that's for sure. And it was like, we stopped for gas at one point and people are coming over, can I take a picture in it and what, ask you all about it? And I'm like, how are you calm? Because it's so, like, you're getting so much attention. <laughs> yeah, so it is in a Lamborghini. I guess you're used to that. And then is that the one that had high insurance? No, the Range Rover. Okay. <laughs> It was like $3,600 or something for the Range Rover. Yeah. But I think, you know, I like classic cars and most people who have one, they drive them like once a month. So I don't think classic cars are a real super big contributor to globe, global warming. But the guy who owns Wink, his name is Mark. He's a classic car fan also. And he has a bunch of classic cars. And I was starting to realize, you know, this... This low-speed vehicle stuff, who's going to adopt this way of transportation? You know, it, it might not be the ordinary person. What I'm finding out is most people are pretty close-minded to something like this, but maybe classic car people are the more open-minded crowd, and they have the disposable income to just throw ten grand at this thing and drive it around and reduce their carbon footprint by not driving a, a big car all the time, you know? Maybe classic car people are the right people to start popularizing low-speed vehicles. I guess we'll see what happens, you know? But I, I think, you know, as a second car, like if you already have one car, just grabbing one of these and driving it as often as you can is a good start. Or if you just don't have the money for a car at all and gas and insurance and all that, this is a great option because you can get pretty much anywhere with it. And the sacrifice is fairly minimal. Like, like I'll give you an example. It usually takes me 35 minutes to get to my gig in Anaheim. I play there every month. When I'm in the wink, it takes 50 minutes. So I'm spending an extra 15 minutes in the car. That is not that much of a sacrifice. I don't mind an extra 15 minutes. It really doesn't bother me. Not going on the freeway is fine with me. I don't want to go on the freeway that bad. I don't really care. Going 25 miles an hour instead of, you know, 60 is fine. I mean, do I really need to go 60 miles an hour in something that weighs 5,000 pounds? Like, I don't feel like a strong desire or need to do that. If I want to drive my Lamborghini once a month and drive 80 or 90 or something, you know, just for the experience or just for fun, I that's fine. But on an everyday basis, 25 miles an hour is fine for me. You know, I, I don't feel like very, I don't feel like I'm sacrificing and I'm having such a terrible life and <laughs> everything yeah. is horrible and I'm, you know, not living in the modern world. It, it's been fine. You know, it's a little slower. It takes an extra 10 minutes sometimes. And that's, that's really the extent of it. You've characterized pretty close to my being off the grid. I mean, when, when the TV cameras come over and the reporters come over, they always want to see me on the roof with the solar panels. And that's not really the actual experience of it. It's really just not watching TV and reading more books 
which is absolutely fine. I mean, it, it improves my life that when I'm on the internet, I'm kind of noticing my battery a lot more because if I don't want to climb 11 flights just so I can watch more videos, much easier to go out and volunteer and connect with people. Like people say, oh, Josh, I don't have time to volunteer. I got to work. I'm like, I don't volunteer instead of work. I volunteer instead of social media. And suddenly they're like, oh, they got time for that. <laughs> oh, Josh, what a prick. <laughs> Making these people feel terrible. So the, can you tell me about, you told me about your girlfriend with an Alaska trip. Yeah. So, you know, so she's like, in all seriousness, she wants to support my efforts to reduce my own pollution. And she's reduced her pollution a whole bunch. You know, she's not like into this stuff. She's not passionate about it. But I was like, hey, let's like, uh, let's just not drink these water bottles anymore, you know, because she would be drinking like cases and cases of the plastic bottles. And, and she went with it. So, I mean, thousands of bottles, you know, that we've been able to not use by no longer ever drinking bottled water. It's big. So, you know, she'll go with it, but she's not passionate about it. So she's making fun of me about the wink and how I'm going to look like an idiot in a clown car. And then she went on a trip to Alaska. She likes to travel a lot. And they saw like the melting glaciers and she heard stories of people whose houses were flooded. Like just regular people like, yeah, the glaciers are melting and flooded my house. I had to move, you know? So when she came back, she said, I'm going to try not to make fun of you about the wink that much anymore because you're really right. And I really do respect the effort because I saw all the melting glaciers and the devastation uh, in Alaska. And it's not some joke that you can just like be like, oh, that's not real. You know, it, it's real. I saw it with my own two eyes, you know. So, but she still won't ride the wink. We'll <laughs> see. Maybe, maybe someday. I remember when you mentioned that before, I, su I suggested that she wouldn't have seen that. I, I think there's a chance she would not have seen it or she would have suppressed her awareness of it had she not known. She might not have noticed it. Yeah. Could you tell one way or another? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, I think she would not have been paying attention to that. I don't know. But if somebody says the glacier's melting, I had to move, my house was flooded. I mean, you, you can't really ignore that, right? I don't know. It's a, good, it's a good question. Well, there are other people. I mean, did you notice the other people, if they also heard and saw? If she, if she was in a group? Yeah. So this was a cruise. She was on there with a lot of older people. There's definitely was some, oh, yeah, right, bullshit. Like there was some climate denial, you know, stuff going on. You know, people of various political groups have, they take their group's opinion, like, um, and then that becomes their opinion on it. So there was some like political people who don't believe in climate change and had some, they were heckling a bit. Yes. All right. I want to go back to something you, you said a lot earlier, because I, I want to clarify something from my perspective of when I said people might pass me like I'm standing still and you talked about, well, you're just doing it for yourself, which I wanted to clarify. I have two definitions of the word competition. One of them is to defeat, to win in a game. If you're, you know, why keep score? You want to win. That's competition. There's another type of competition to me, which is very closely related, but different, which is when you say so-and-so is competitor, what I understand that to mean is that person's trying to reach their potential. So whether or not they're competing against anyone else, how much are, to me, this is about living by my values. 
And there is a bit of competitive aspect of it. Like, what's my potential to live by, by my values when it's difficult? So it's like running into a headwind. And so I wanted to clarify that, that it's not about being better than the other person. Yeah. People may have, I'm not going to stop people from having that perspective. But for me, it's how much can I reach my potential? And even better, can I get past what I thought was my potential and realize I had more potential than I thought? I see, like competing against yourself in a way. Yeah. It can be motivating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think I'm on the same page with you. I like to like push myself a little with this, you know? Yeah. Cause I was born into a world in which living sustainably is difficult. And most of the values, I grew up believing that flying was good. There, there's just no two ways about it. I mean, I also thought, as you described, I mean, you, you hit the nail pretty close to where it was for me of flying was probably polluting, but, you know, not that much. And so, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have thought that it was some like major, major thing. And I didn't look it up. It happened to be in a video that I was watching. But when you said it, I was like, no, they, that does make sense though, because that thing is going very fast. You know, from a physics standpoint, that thing's, it must take a lot of power to go that fast. And now there is one competition, it's not competition, but when I'm, most people say, Josh, you're so extreme. And they're comparing me to the average American, which for them is normal. But I don't accept that as normal. It may be statistically normal for where I live. But the more that I do this, the more I learn about indigenous cultures, or in particular, sustainable, free, abundant cultures, the Hadza, the San, you know, that have lived as they have, those two, the Hadza for 50,000 years is my understanding, the Hadza for, for the San for 200,000, something like that. And that to me is my normal because they've lived that way for a lot longer than we have. So I keep learning from them of like, there's this wonderful movie called The Great Dance, which if you look online, you can find it. It's not on YouTube, but it's on some other site, but I can't say where because it's by the people that did My Octopus Teacher, which I haven't seen yet. But people really love that. And they did this one about hunting by the sun, the Bushmen, and it's really amazing. So I'm vegan. I'm not going to go hunting. Certainly not. I'm not going to eat meat in, in like factory farm stuff. But I respect them. The way that they hunt is totally different. I mean, it's persistence hunting. And they have like a barbecue every night. Yeah. Not every night, but when, whenever they get the stuff, whenever they hunt down an animal, they barbecue it. And they it's it looks like, I just have to say all the stuff of, like, I'm not saying that they're like- Maybe you're not extreme, Josh. Maybe you're not extreme at all. Maybe you're just a very unusual American. Well, I think of it as traditional. Because as of something like a century ago, nobody was connected to any electric grid. None of them existed. No one had a refrigerator more than about a century ago. So I think of it as, I'm not in competition with them, but I'm learning from them. Like, that's my, they're my role models. And not to live like them, but to- what of the of their stewardship values can I apply here? Because I'm living in Manhattan. I mean, that's where if I want to save the rainforest, going to the rainforest, that's not where the decisions to cut it down are being made. I mean, maybe someone there is cutting it, but it's our culture. That's what I want to, you know, I work on sustainability leadership. This is where the decisions are made to go and drill, things like that. So- yeah. And there's another thing that you said that I want to come back to of uh, you're not going to let the availability of something get in your way. You're not going to let this stuff, you're going to do, that to me recalled a quote that Teddy Roosevelt put in his autobiography. He got it from someone else, but it's, do what you can with what you've got where you are. 
Yeah, yeah, that's how that's how it's done. I think. Yeah, it like really simplifies things. Like, oh, but if you do that, that doesn't fix all the world's problems. Well, I'm doing what I can with what I got where I am. Yeah, that and that's a great way to keep moving forward. It's not about being perfect today. It's about just improving a little at a time. Yeah, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, I forgot about this until listening to you talk, because a lot of people, it's obligation. A lot of people, it's, well, I'm supposed to compost, so I guess I have to. I'm supposed to eat less meat, so I have to. And you're doing it. My read is it's it's fun. I mean, you might say, okay, you're driving slower. It takes an extra 15 minutes. but I, And maybe fun isn't the right word. And correct me if another word is better, but it's also intrinsic motivation. You're doing it because your own reasons. And that's one of the biggest shifts that I'm trying to get across is, and it kills me, all these sustainability people who, for, I don't know, noble reasons, are saying things like, you have to do this. Like, the sea levels are going to rise if you don't do this, so you better. And maybe I'm overstating it, but it's extrinsic. It's coercion. And for me, it's fun. Okay. So you're trying to avoid that kind of coercion. That's interesting. Yeah. I call it CCCSC bludgeoning, convincing, cajoling, coercing, seeking compliance. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. And people hear that from me all the time. And I'm like, I'm having fun. Like, yeah, I'm climbing up the stairs a lot. But the challenge, all right, I, here's one my pressure cooker. I don't know how many people have used pressure cookers, but when you turn it on, it's got no pressure in it. And as it heats up, the water turns to steam. That causes the pressure to build. And there's a little weighted thing that when the pressure gets high enough, it pops up, locks. Now you can't open it for safety. And that's when the, a little bit after that is when the clock starts ticking. So up until that, it's not, the timer doesn't start. And it's not really cooking then. What I realized is that if I, press if the pressure starts building a little bit and i open up the lid and press down for momentarily the pressure is higher and if i spin it just right i can get that thing to pop up earlier now when i'm using the battery to power my pressure cooker if it's at 95 percent, it's like 98 94 95 93 it's like really dropping fast <laughs> and sometimes if, if i overfill it if it gets to zero without cooking I've wasted a whole trip up and down the stairs. So if I do this little trick and it takes skill to do it, I'm getting better at it. It, I can get a few extra percent because it doesn't take as long to reach pressure because I've gotten it to build pressure earlier. So you're sort of making a game of it. Yes. It's fun. It's like I'm, I'm a kid with Lego. Mm-hmm. And someone might say, well, Josh, just plug it in. Like it's faster. Actually, the pressure cooker only gives us 600 watts. So the from the wall, it gives like- We don't get to play the game. Right? Yeah. And who knows what'll come next? These little things. And like I can unfold the solar panels faster now. I got to make a video of that so I can send it to the- Because uh, they sent me the latest, the manufacturer. So I'll say it is- Which one is it? EcoFlow. They sent me like a bigger solar panel. Oh, nice. Yeah. It, and at first I was like, oh, I don't want to get- spoiled but but it's much harder to carry it's not much it's heavier than the lighter than the ones that didn't don't deliver as a power because the collecting area is it's bigger but it charges so much faster 
that's a big bonus, especially or on cloudier days, I get more power out of it. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me of, of uh, you were talking about the, the riding the bike. Oh, how much do you e-bike now? Has the wink replaced it or do you still use the e-bike? Still, still ride the e-bike. Yeah, because it's, it's kind of fun sometimes, you know, if it's a nice day out. Yeah, I still ride the e-bike. I mean, it's this is all like I'm very much in the infant stages. Like I've, well, you know, I don't have like a full system yet of, oh, I only drive 10% of the time and 50% is the wink and 40% of the bike. Like I'm not quite there yet. I'm still kind of random. But I got these things in my garage and, you know, it's lowered my carbon footprint a lot so far and it's going to be way, way lower in the future, you know, when I get all this dialed in. So you're kind of developing skill. I always talk about playing scales. It's like at first, or learning to play an instrument, first to play a few scales. That's not really music, but that's how you get to music. Yeah, yeah. Man, I got this one friend who, man, he was so mad at me for doing this. Mad? I don't know. Maybe mad is not the word. He had strong objections. He wanted to debate, you know? He's an old guy. I'm a jazz musician, so, you know, most, I hang out with a lot of people like 70 and over. And this guy's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm driving this little car. I showed him a picture of it. He's like, what are you doing that for? It's not going to make a difference. The government's going to do what they're going to do. They have the power and this whole environmental thing is just fake. It's created by these globalists or politicians and and I, I was like, man, I just don't follow politics, so I, you know, I can't really like argue with you on this. But I'm just one person trying to have less pollution. It's it's not some like global movement for me, you know. And like, I haven't watched the news in so many years. I don't really, I can't keep up with this guy when he's telling me, well, the Democrats are what they want. They're going to take power because of this environmental thing, and they're using it to scare children, and it's this agenda. So anyway. This guy's very suspicious of where the information is coming from, you know? And I thought the scientific consensus was like at 100% for climate change. So I told him that. I'm like, I don't know a lot about politics, but I can tell you that the scientists all agree at this point. And he's like, well, the scientists, you got to look at who's paying them and where this money's come from. They need to have a job. And I was like, man, this guy's way, way skeptical, you know? I mean... I try to respect his opinion, but it was like kind of off the wall. So, so I was like, well, listen, I'm just, I don't know anything about politics. I don't follow the news or politics at all. So I can't debate you on any of that. You could be right, could be wrong. I don't know. But I'm just one person trying to have a carbon footprint of three tons or less. That's it. You know, it's no, it's, there's really no more to it. Like, I'm not trying to, I really can't tell you anything else about it. You know, it's just a little car. It's a little slower, you know, Mm -hmm. but to him, it was, I guess, just a very, uh, very inflammatory that I would be doing something like this. You know, I don't know. I don't don't know. What do you make of that, Josh? I got to tell you, it's something I say a lot is, is the challenge is not living sustainably. It's people. People are looking for all these technological solutions. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Now I, I see what you're saying. And it's. People really push against it, especially family. And I mean, at first I was like you, like I'm just trying to avoid packaged food. I can't fix the whole world, but at least I I looked at the plastic in my garbage 
and no one else could take responsibility for that. And that's going to end up on other people's, well, ultimately people's bloodstreams. And I just wanted to pollute a bit less. And people really, so, but then once I found that it was cheaper and more convenient, once I learned how to cook and tasted better and everyone, man, liberals are really like other people can't, they don't have privilege and access like you do. And I'm like, that's why it took me so long to realize we like in my mind, I'm doing the cheap thing that increases access that helps the people who have least access that, and it, it just didn't occur to me that they're like, they just see some straight white male with Ivy league degrees and owning an apartment in Crunch village. I'm like, I got mugged when I was a kid, but I didn't, I didn't think that, but it was like this real strong pushback. And I, I still don't, don't really get it, but I, I try more and more to get it. So, but once I felt that I really liked it and I found that there was intrinsic motivation, the leadership person, the leader in me, the leadership coach and teacher in me saw intrinsic is very different than extrinsic. It's the difference between leadership and management. And if you get into a transactional mode with someone, then if, if I try to get you to comply, then you're like, okay, what are you going to do for me then? And then people want to push back if they feel like you're trying to get something from them and you're trying to why would you cajole and convince and coerce if they wanted to do it in the first place? Obviously, it reinforces that they obviously don't want to do it. And I could change that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not telling this guy to drive us a, a wink or an e-bike. Well, I do so I did want to take up the mantle. I mean, if people are people are interested, like your listeners may be interested and in, you know, if they want to say, Oh, is the wink for me, I could I could say, uh, oh, maybe maybe it is or maybe it's not for X reasons, you know. So but somebody who's not interested, I'm not going to try to like talk them into it. Yeah. And, and I did want to lead. I don't want to, everyone perceives. Sounds my mistake. Maybe I just shouldn't have to talk to this guy about it. You know? Well, I did want to take up the mantle of trying to influence people, but for intrinsic, I wanted to. Yeah. And I'm going to leave that for you. You know, you're yeah. the one who's good, not me. But I do recommend something that I do a lot, which is a challenge, which is to try to put myself, what could be in that person's heart and mind to where what he says, to to where what he says is the natural thing to say. So that's empathy. For me, the big exercise is when I see someone litter, when I'm walking down the street and I see someone just throw something on the ground, I was up riding my bike up in the Bronx and I'm behind some, I don't know, some guy presumably lives there, he looked Hispanic. And I can't see what he's got in his hands because you know I'm behind him. But at one point he just throws, throws, a Pepsi bottle on the ground. And I'm like, what could possess, like, how is this the right and natural thing to do? To throw into your own neighborhood litter. So I have to spend time getting into that mind space where that feels normal because otherwise I can't go to where the, per I have to go to where the person is. Now I'm not leading people in the Bronx, but I do want to understand that, I want to understand I want to feel what they feel in order to do something about it. So I try to get there. All right. All right. Uh, let me try this exercise. All right. So my friend, he's another jazz guitar player. I guess he's lived through, you know, he's probably in his late 70s. I guess he's lived through a time where the government or whatever these power structures are have like lied to people a lot and he feels very lied to and maybe he had a trust of these institutions at some point mm -hmm. when he was younger and now that trust is broken and that's still 
upsetting to him. And now he kind of sees everything through that lens. Vietnam, Tuskegee. Yeah. So I guess if once you see the world through that lens, you know, it's kind of, you're always going to see the world that way. All right. Yeah, I think we're over your time, but I could keep going. Oh yeah, well, yeah, that's true. We should we should probably wrap it up. That's a good exercise, though. Yeah, we'll be in touch. I'm really curious if if that leads anywhere. Can I? I'm going to close with one question if you have time. Sure, sure. So as it becomes more and more normal for you, I would guess that that's on the individual scale, probably on the community level, it may become more and more normal. And I'm imagining that freeways will become less desirable. And I think Santa Monica is a place where people kind of live a bit more local because I think of like Cal Southern California is like the quintessential car dependent culture. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I contrast that with Amsterdam, which in the 70s, I think, or 60s, they were proposed putting freeways into it and raising the center because it was all traffic laden and that was building more roads they thought would alleviate traffic and they went to make it more and more bicycle and pedestrian friendly. Well, Santa Monica is got a lot of cars and the traffic's so bad that it's almost impossible to get in or out. So people rarely leave Santa Monica who live there, but I don't know that that really means that it's like walkable or or bikeable. Because I'm, I would love to see these freeways. I would love to see these freeways go away, and well, if if it can be made walkable, there's lots of middle steps of like, what do you do with these freeways? Do you tear them down? Do you just let them decay and rewild? But is there a path? Does this help make a path toward where communities would become more walkable? Yeah, it's pretty tough in the outer suburbs. We'd have a long way to go for that. Where I live, there's like, I don't know, about two miles from my house, there's an area that has a lot of stores and all the different kinds of services. And that area, I would say, if you want to just walk around there, you could, but you just have to drive two miles to get there, you know? Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I ride my bike down there once, you know, a couple times a week or go down there in the wink. All right. So it might not be a cultural game changer, yeah. but it might maybe a couple more steps beyond it, which we can't see past. I saw a guy on YouTube who had a wink and he had a, like a Honda also. And the interviewer said, so how much do you drive the wink? And he goes, me and my wife, we drive the wink pretty much anywhere we go, except when we drive to our like cabin in the mountains. So people are able to, it is a car substitute. You can just kind of, the most part, 90%, you can kind of eliminate your car with one of these things. So you, you have to want to, you know, and you have to be able to put up with the pe the naysayers and people who think you're an idiot for doing it. But yeah, I think it's possible. I'm far enough along with this to say it's possible. All right. Uh, what was in the last stew you made? I got something sitting in the fridge right now. Some on the sweet side. It's got corn, it's got carrots, and it's got squash. So that's three sweeties right there. Uh -huh. And I got some kale with that. What else is in that one? Beans, of course. Do you use a lot of nutritional yeast? 
Yeah, got to put it on. Yeah, every every stew gets nutrition. Yeah. I just made one with black beans, kale. Oh, and I, I put a bunch of edamame in there at the same time, like raw. So I had to steam that. Uh huh. And then I top it off with onions, a bunch of nuts, always nutritional yeast. Oh, and a bunch of peppers. Peppers are in season right now. So I'm going through tons of peppers. Yellow, red, green, some spicy, some sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh, and leeks. Yeah, that's that's some pretty good stuff. Yeah, it's September, so it's probably still pretty good in New York at the farmer's market, right? Yeah, it'll be good until Thanksgiving. There'll be plentiful greens. Like green leafy vegetables is like my main go-to. And then then even through January, there'll be it'll be less but the trick is to learn to love cabbage because cabbage is like the hardiest one well but so up until january's cabbage and some brussels sprouts somehow that makes it till the end and then late january february march even into april is when it's really difficult okay all right casey so anything i didn't think to ask before wrapping up or anything to to add at the end no, I think it was great. Uh, a great little podcast there. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Josh. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.